There's a common misconception that the holiday known as Cinco de Mayo celebrates Mexican independence. This isn't true, as that holiday doesn't fall until September 16th, the anniversary of the day in 1821 that Mexico first declared itself independent from Spanish rule. What then does Cinco de Mayo celebrate? Put on your sombreros, dear listeners, but leave your cerveza to chill, because we're going to be taking a brief look at this interesting celebration right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. If you have access to an atlas or map, take a good look at Mexico and France. A good 5,707 miles, or 9,184 kilometers, separates the two countries. With such a vast distance between them, you'd think that they'd have little to do with one another, especially at the height of the 19th century, when travel from one to the other was not only lengthy, but perilous to boot. And yet, in 1862, the French Second Empire, under the authority of Napoleon III, invaded Mexico, though the motives behind it might surprise you. It was at the insistence of Mexican conservatives that France should invade their home country. This faction had been defeated in an earlier civil war by the Mexican liberals, which resulted in the formation of a federal republic, known as the Second Federal Republic of Mexico, to which the conservatives were strongly opposed. The latter's goal was to establish a monarchy, an idea not entirely unheard of in Central and South America after gaining independence from their European overlords. Think 19th century Brazil, which became an empire after breaking away from Portuguese rule. Unwilling to acquiesce to this new order, these conservatives practically invited the French emperor and his forces to invade. Mexico, topple the Republic, led by then-President Benito Juarez, and establish a monarchy all their own. As you could probably imagine, the liberals weren't too keen on this, and promised to defend their country and Republic from any threat, in this case, both foreign and domestic. Sometime in the week between April 9th and 16th, 1862, the invasion began. There were those in the Mexican government who were sympathetic to both the conservatives and French intervention, though they faced a great deal of chastisement from their liberal opponents. The first exchange of fire between French and Mexican forces took place in the town of Escamela. Led by generals Porfirio Diaz and Ignacio Zaragoza, the liberals were ultimately defeated, at which time the French took the town and advanced to nearby Orizaba, claiming it as well. The liberals retreated before heading towards Puebla, where the most fateful battle of this brief conflict would take place. On May 2nd, 1862, French troops under the command of General Charles de Laurences, along with their Mexican conservative allies, the latter of whom were led by one General Antonio Taboada, made camp within sight of the town of Puebla. Laurences divulged his plan to Taboada to take the forts of Guadalupe and Loreto, which would assure them control over the city. As the French didn't have the resources to attack the city outright with heavy artillery, nor the manpower to starve its residents into submission, it was agreed upon by both men that this maneuver would be their best bet. A day later, however, Mexican liberal forces arrived in Puebla, at which time they swiftly occupied both forts and took up quarters within the town's limits. Laurences and Taboada had no choice but to launch an attack, which they did at eleven in the morning the same day. It was comprised of two battalions of Zouaves, that is, soldiers hailing from French colonies in North Africa, and one battery, as well as marine artillery, while the reserve consisted of a regiment of marine infantry and marine riflemen, both of which were equipped with a large mountain gun. The reserve was meant to protect the attack column's rear flanks against liberal cavalry, who were to the right and left sides. The Zouave battalions advanced towards the fort of Guadalupe. At around noon, the fighting began. Noting that the French and their conservative allies were planning to carry out a direct assault on the forts, General Saragossa commanded that reinforcements be sent in to protect them. However, they wouldn't be able to get through for a good two hours, as French forces constantly shelled the forts within that time. By the following day, May 4th, it appeared as if the French and the conservatives would emerge victorious. After all, the French army was far more advanced than that of Mexico at the time. 
With their superior firepower, namely in the form of long rifles, they could easily outshoot and outperform the decidedly outdated muskets with which the liberals were equipped. It's important to note, though, that advanced weaponry alone doesn't always assure victory. In this instance, for example, the French greatly underestimated the defensive positioning of the liberals, so much so, in fact, that they didn't even bother to assemble their weaponry properly or strategically. Instead, on the morning of May 5th, they wasted a great deal of time on intimidation, putting on an elaborate show for the civilians of Puebla complete with bayonet drills and bugle calls. While this indeed emptied the town of its citizens, it did nothing to scare off the liberals, who met their French and conservative adversaries on the hills where both Fort Guadalupe and Fort Loreto were located. General Laurences ordered three uphill attacks in an attempt at sacking the forts, each of which proved disastrous. The French incurred heavy losses as a result due to strong liberal resistance, to say nothing of the cavalry troops that were hidden in a nearby Mage, Agave field. Attacked from all sides, the French and conservatives soon retreated, with the liberals in hot pursuit. Said pursuit was called off, however, when French reinforcements arrived to cover the fleeing columns. With the retreating armies having regrouped and split into three, they launched a second attack on the north and east of the town, attempting once more to charge up the fort of Guadalupe Hill. Again, they were halted in their tracks by liberal defense, who fought back even more vigorously than they had initially. By 7 p.m. that evening, the French, who had suffered insurmountable losses at what would come to be known as the Battle of Puebla, retreated to their campsite, where they'd await further reinforcements from the mother country. The Mexican liberals, on the other hand, celebrated their victory, of which they were naturally quite proud, given how the odds had, at first, seemingly been against them. Though the French would ultimately emerge successful in this venture, establishing what came to be known as the Second Mexican Empire in 1864, the Battle of Puebla was an important turning point in Mexican history, for it showed the world that Mexico could, in fact, take care of itself, even when faced with the superior firepower and military might of a great and modern European nation like France. Though the republic for which the liberals fought so hard would ultimately be restored in 1867, for three years a monarchy would rule Mexico, with the Habsburg, that is, Austrian royal family, Archduke, Maximilian I, as its first and only emperor. On June 19, 1867, he would ultimately be assassinated by the liberals, thus restoring the Mexican Republic. With these historical events in mind, it's easy to see how Cinco de Mayo could be misconstrued as a celebration of Mexican independence. After all, the liberals, with their outdated muskets, faced one of the leading military powers of the world at the time, and managed to win, thus maintaining, albeit for a brief time, their sovereignty. Such odds were staggering for their day. Indeed, they still are, but they show us how persistence and tenacity can ultimately pay off. As such, the story of the Battle of Puebla is a classic David versus Goliath tale of how the underdog can come out on top. It was Han Solo who famously said, never tell me the odds. Clearly, no one told the Mexican liberals the odds, and I'd say that it turned out quite well for them. Muchísimas gracias for listening to this brief Cinco de Mayo special. As the past week proved to be quite busy on my end, combined with the amount of research, I've decided to put off the episode on paleontology pioneer Mary Anning until next week, so be sure you tune in for that one. If you enjoy history as I do, and would like to show your support for this podcast, please visit podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash history loves company, all one word, and click the support button, which will take you to three monthly support plans that fit your budget. Listening and sharing also help, so please do so on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That being said, have a fun and safe Cinco de Mayo tomorrow, and I'll see you all next week.